Part 2, Section 6 of The Dark Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dark Flower by John Galsworthy, Section 23. On the wild thyme, under the olives below the rock village of Corbio, with their mules cropping at a little distance, those two sat after their lunch, listening to the cuckoos since their uncanny chance meeting that morning in the gardens when they sat with their hands just touching amazed and elated by their own good fortune there was not much need to say what they felt to break with the words this rapture belonged to each other so shyly so wildly so as it were without reality they were like epicures with old wine in their glasses not yet tired of its fragrance and the spill of anticipation and so their talk was not of love but in that pathetic way of star-crossed lovers, of the things they loved, leaving out each other. It was the telling of her dream that brought the words from him at last, but she drew away and answered, Can't be. It mustn't be. Then he just clung to her hand, and presently, seeing that her eyes were wet, took courage enough to kiss her cheek, trembling and fugitive indeed that first passage of their love, not much of the conquering male in him, nor in her of the ordinary enchantress. And then they went, outwardly sober enough, riding their mules down the stony slopes, back to Menthone. But in the grey, dusty railway carriage, when she had left him, he was like a man drugged, staring at where she had sat opposite. Two hours later, at dinner in her hotel, between her and Mrs. Ericott, with the colonel opposite, he knew for the first time what he was faced with, to watch every thought that passed within him, lest it should be by the slightest sign betray him to regulate and veil every look and every word he spoke to her, never for a second to forget that these other persons were actual and dangerous, not merely insignificant and grotesque shadows that they seemed. It would be perhaps forever a part of his love for her to seem not to love her. He did not dare dream of fulfillment. He was to be her friend and to try to bring her happiness. Burn and long for her and not think about reward. This was his first real overwhelming passion so different to the loves of spring, and he brought to it all that naivety, that touching quality of young Englishmen, whose secret instinct it is to back away from the full nature of love, even from admitting that it has that nature. They too were to love and not to love. For the first time he understood a little of what that meant, a few stolen adoring minutes now and then, and for the rest the presence of a world that must be deceived. Already he had almost a hatred of that orderly brown-faced colonel with his eyes that looked so steady and saw nothing of that flat, kindly lady who had talked so pleasantly throughout dinner, saying things that he had to answer with, out knowing what they signified. He realized with a sense of shock that he was deprived of all interest in life but one. Not even his work had any meaning apart from her. It lit no fire within him to hear Mrs. Ericott praise certain execrable pictures in the Royal Academy which she had religiously visited the day before leaving home. And as the interminable meal wore on, he began even to feel grief and wonder that Olive could be so smiling, so gay and calm, so as it seemed to him indifferent to this intolerable impossibility of exchanging even one look of love. Did she really love him? Could she love him? And show not one little sign of it? And suddenly he felt her foot touch his own. It was the faintest sidelong, supplicating pressure. Withdrawn at once, but it said... I know what you are suffering. I too, but I love you. Characteristically, he felt that it cost her dear to make use of that little primitive device.
place of common loves. The touch awoke within him only chivalry. He would burn for her every sooner than cause her the pain of thinking that he was not happy. After dinner, they sat out on a balcony. The stars glowed above the palms. The frog was croaking. He managed to draw his chair so that he could look at her unseen. How deep and softly dark her eyes, when for a second they rested on his. A moth settled on her knee, a cunning little creature, with its hooded horned owl's face and tiny black slits of eyes. Would it have come so confidingly to anyone but her? The colonel knew its name. He had collected it. Very common, he said. The interest in it passed, but Lennon stayed, bent forward, gazing at that silk-covered knee. The voice of Mrs. Ericott, sharper than it won't, said, What day does Robert say he wants you back, my dear? He managed to remain gazing at the moth, even to take it gently from her knee, while he listened to her calm answer. Tuesday, I believe. Then he got up and let the moth fly into the darkness. His hands and lips were trembling, and he was afraid of their being seen. He had never known, had not dreamed, of such a violent, sick feeling. This man could thus hail her home at will. It was grotesque, fantastic, awful, but it was true. Next Tuesday, she would journey back away from him to be again at the mercy of her fate. The pain of this thought made him grip the railing and grit his teeth, to keep himself from crying out, and another thought came to him. I shall have to go about with this feeling, day and night, and keep it a secret. They were saying goodnight, and he had to smirk and smile, and pretend to her above all that he was happy, and he could see that she knew it was pretense. Then he was alone, with the feeling that he had failed her at the first shot. Torn too between horror of what he suddenly saw before him and longing to be back in her presence at any cost. And all this on the day of that first kiss which had seemed to him to make her so utterly his own. He sat down on a bench facing the casino. Neither the lights nor the people passing in and out, not even the gypsy bandsman's music, distracted his thoughts for a second. Could it be less than 24 hours since he had picked up her handkerchief, not 30 yards away? In that twenty-four hours he seemed to have known every emotion that man could feel, and in all the world there was now not one soul to whom he could speak his real thoughts, not even to her, because from her, beyond all, he must keep at any cost all knowledge of his unhappiness. So this was illicit love, as it was called. Loneliness and torture. Not jealousy, for her heart was his, but amazement, outrage, fear. Endless lonely suffering and nobody, if they knew, would care or pity him one jot. Was there really then, as the ancients thought, a daemon that liked to play with men, as men liked to stir an earwig and turn it over and put a foot on it in the end? He got up and made his way towards the railway station. There was the bench where she had been sitting when he came on her that very morning. The stars in their courses had seemed to fight for them then, but with a for joy he no longer knew, and there on that seat were still the pepper berries she had crushed and strewn. He broke off another bunch and bruised them. That scent was the ghost of sacred minutes when her hand lay against his own. The stars in their courses for joys or sorrow. End of section 23